Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. If you're just joining us uh, today and you weren't here last week, we're uh, in week two of a new series called Advent Conspiracy. My name is Brent. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And um, I have a question I want you to interact with your neighbor with. And um, I know that's not always comfortable, but in, in the spirit of the holidays, I'm hoping this question can pull something out of you that you find enjoyment um, answering this question. But thinking um, your entire life, all right? What is the best Christmas gift, the best Christmas gift you have ever received, and why? Okay, it doesn't have to be like an item. It can be an experience or whatever it is, but talk to your neighbor. What is, what's the best Christmas gift you've ever received? Go. <laughs> well, hopefully you got to get a little bit nostalgic answering that. The best gift I ever received, um, it was 1994, 1995. I had woken up with bedhead all over my bowl cut, came downstairs, and there was a, I shared this story last year, but uh, yeah, that was a year ago, so I'll share real quick again. But there was a huge box on our couch, and um, my brother and I could kind of, we were at the age where we kind of knew what we were getting, and that was a huge surprise. Even my dad didn't know what it was, and it was our last gift that we opened, and we were so excited about it. And um, we, we tore into it, and lo and behold, my mom got us a globe. And my brother and I look at each other and we look at her and we go, you got us a globe? And then my dad looks at her and goes, you got them a globe? And we're like, what are we gonna do with a globe? And no joke, my mom's answer was, you can spin it and put your finger on it and pretend that you're gonna go there. And we're like, cool. Now, is that a fantastic gift? I don't know, I'm talking about it years later. So best gift. Now, what was the most meaningful gift you ever received at Christmas? Once again, it can be an item, or it can be an experience, or whatever it is. What's the most meaningful? So go ahead and share that now. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's not. So for me... It was 2015, we'd moved away from our hometown of Pittsburgh, where we lived for 30 years, and um, uh, out, not long after we moved, we flew back for Thanksgiving, and um, my grandparents had my entire family come in, my cousins, and we grew up doing Christmas together, so it was always very picturesque, very just stereotypical, beautiful family Christmas, and at Thanksgiving, my grandparents surprised us that uh, I had a couple kids of my own at that time, and the family came in, and we celebrated Christmas at Thanksgiving, and they had Santa and Mrs. Claus come down and I got to see my kids experience the Christmases that I grew up with. So that was the most meaningful th for me. So as you think about the best gifts and the most meaningful gifts you've ever received, I highly doubt one of the things you were doing was adding up if they were the most expensive gifts how much money they were. Because the reality is, when it comes to Christmas, the amount of money that we spend, that we, nobody remembers that. We remember the gifts that we receive that pull on our heartstrings, that, that, that tie us to our family, that tie us to smells, experiences, whatever it might be. Because the reality is, no matter how much money we spend, it's not really about the gifts. It's about what comes with that. Christmas isn't about the gifts. We understand that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. But the magnitude of that sentence is something that is often overlooked. Because the reality is, there's this perfect God in heaven 
that looks down on earth and sees sinful humanity, and rather than saying, I'm just going to stay up here, he leaves the perfection and comfort of heaven to come down, born a humble birth, walk a perfect life among broken, sinful humanity, yet still love us enough to take our sin to go to a cross, to die a sinner's death that we deserve, only to be buried and resurrected three days later, all so we can have a relationship with this God that we deserve nothing from him, but yet in his infinite and perfect love gives us this gift of Jesus. So that's what Christmas is. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to encourage you with this question, what's keeping you from it? So if you have questions about that today, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. So I'm just putting that out there. But we are in week two of this series called Advent Conspiracy. And the the whole purpose of the series, it's to engage Christmas in a way that is meaningful and truly celebrates and demonstrates the incarnation, which means to be made flesh of Jesus Christ. Okay, so everybody take out your Advent Conspiracy book if you have it. If you don't, like literally, you can just go out to the um, table and grab one. Um, We'd love for you to jot down notes, but there is a discrepancy in this. Uh, We're in week two, but week two actually has Pastor Chad's notes for next week. Um, It got printed wrong, so uh, you can put your notes in week three. I don't have any fill in the blanks. I just want you to, if you want to take notes down, but week two has fill in the blanks. Those are for next week, so we got flip-flops. So make sure you you get that um, taken care of. But um, talking about spending this morning, last week Chad shared this crazy, ridiculous statistic that Americans, our entire country, spends about a trillion dollars a year on Christmas. I did a little bit more digging into that, and it is true, but not all of that is spent on presents, okay? That is the whole gauntlet of Christmas. About 60 to 65 percent is spent on gifts for family, friends, or loved ones. So I calculated that divided by the population of America, which is like 335 million, and the, it, it, it averages out that each person spends in between one to $2,000. That's what that number averages out to, that each person spends one to $2,000 on cr- Christmas gifts for loved ones or family members. Now, I know you're thinking like, nah, I have a family, like none of my kids are spending that much money, but I just wanted to put that out there to show just how ridiculous of a number it is of the amount of money that we spend, and yet we just talk that the best gifts are the most meaningful gifts, it really has nothing to do with how much you spend, because that's not what the season is about, okay? So this morning, we're going to be talking about spending less and the why behind spending less. And why spend less? You can experience a more meaningful Christmas by exchanging our wants to meet other people's needs, and it frees up resources to support things that truly matter, so that Christmas can be deeper and more meaningful than ever before. Reality is spend less so I can bless more. Spend less so I can bless more. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump into this more. Lord, nobody wants to hear from me this morning. They didn't come for me. They came for you. And uh, God, I don't want to hear myself. Um, Lord, as I get to convey your word, I love that um, as, I, as I teach, you're teaching me. So, Father... Um, Just continue to humble me. Um, May your words come through clearly. And God, any of my words that come through, just just kick them out of this place. Um, Father, it's it's you that change our hearts to make us more like Jesus. So God, as we walk out of here, help us to be different people that walked in this building because of who you are in our lives. God, thank you again for the opportunity to celebrate life change. And Father, I pray that we walk out of here a little bit more like Jesus today. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
So yes, we have, a, we have a spending problem at Christmas time, but if you were to walk around your house, I think it's easy to see that we have a spending problem in general. Um, if you just look on your shelves, you go through your closets, there are things littered all over the places that we live that at one point we bought and we're like, that thing's awesome. And then years pass and you're like, why do I still, that, still have that up in my house? And then we're like, I don't really like it anymore, but I'll keep it there, but I'm just going to go get more stuff to put on top of it. Now, I'm not trying to guilt or shame anybody because I am guilty of this as well. I am very impulsive, and God has convicted me so many times. I get buyer's remorse before I even pull the trigger, which is fantastic. So thank you, Lord. Um, but one thing I think... Um, as I look back on my life at Christmas time, like I'm, I'm blessed to be able to grow up in the time I did because I didn't get a cell phone until I was 19. Um, so I grew up like going to stores, getting the Sears catalog at Christmas time, being super excited about that. But for me, I knew that Christmas was a time that people that loved me went out of their way to really go out in the snow and sleet to look for perfect gifts that they knew I would like based on our relationship. And what I feel like Christmas is, or Christmas has really come to is just buy now, click now, we'll just get this out of the way. And we have become so much less intentional with the heart behind the gift giving. So the more we spend, we just keep spending more and hoping that we keep people at bay or keep people satisfied with their expectations. And we become even less intentional because if you don't know what to get them, what do you get them? A gift card. Because what says I love you more than a piece of plastic that they can take to Red Lobster or Cracker Barrel? Okay? And then on top of that, if you don't want to find out their favorite restaurant, you can get a gift card that's generic, that's a Visa or a MasterCard, and it's not the price of the card that you're paying for. You have to pay $4.95 for an activation fee. And you know what? Instead of calling somebody to say, hey, what's your favorite restaurant? You're like, I just really don't feel like doing that. I'll pay the five extra bucks. Spending is an issue. We overspend and we overspend. We become lazy. We become less intentional. So Christmas, it's really turned away from being a holiday about the birth of Jesus that's still there and is still a focus, but it's really become overly commercialized. It's an event based on expectation and entitlement, and we've really fallen into that trap. Okay, we, we deal with people that aren't really excited or happy with the gift that they're given. I watched a, a, a video yesterday. There's like a, a clip from the 90s of like this kid getting a Nintendo 64, and he's like freaking out. He's jumping up and down. Um, and then there was a, a, a video of a kid last year that got a PS5, but it wasn't the color that he wanted. So he threw the box, and he cried hysterically. And that's just, I, I don't mean to pick on it, but that's just the, the reality of the consumer culture that we are now um, pouring into, okay? We now expect to get everything that we want, and we, we, when we don't, there is a piece of us like, man, like, everything's available to us. Why can't I just get what I want, okay? Disappointment has become a part of Christmas, and it's because we have an unhealthy expectation because our eyes have become fixated on the wrong thing about Christmas. Do your desires for what you want, do they match up with God's desires? I think at Christmas, sometimes we get this mindset of like, well, it's Christmas. I deserve something. I deserve something rather than, no, it's a, a gift is something you don't deserve that somebody wants to bless you with. So when you talk about, we talk about spending less, part of that is, is we really have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, do the things that I desire 
Are they really kingdom-minded or are they my kingdom-minded? And, and when you wrestle with this, there will be tension. I remember Brianna and I went on it. Brianna's my wife. Say hi, babe. She's shaking her head no. She doesn't like when I do that. Okay. Um, in 2011, um, Brianna and I got to go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And um, we did like VBS stuff and got to help kids that were less fortunate. And we came home. We were convicted at Christmas time. So rather than giving gifts, we, brought, we bought blankets, clothes, and I think goats. Um, on behalf of our, our of, of people that we loved and that we were close to. And we were really excited to give those, and we shared our heart behind it. And everybody seemed to receive it well, but afterwards I got pulled aside and um, got a talking to. And um, it, even when in my 20s, I was like, oh, I'm getting in trouble. It's weird. And um, I just remember being told, hey, that was an awesome gesture, but you guys get to go home with something, and now they don't get to go home with something. So I understand the why but also the, the, people are just going to kind of be disappointed. And I remember I was like, I really struggled with that because I was trying to give grace, and yet it's difficult because I really feel like the tradition and the expectation was more important than anything because we had a particular way of doing Christmas. So when we got outside of that, there was tension. So when you start to go through this process of really digging into your spending, there will be tension. There will be tension between you, uh, maybe thoughts of your family or whatever it could lead to, but I'm just saying, like, it's about Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we need to have the heart of Jesus. So here's the question I want you to think about today. Does the presence of Jesus mean more to me than the presence of Christmas? Does the presence of Jesus mean more to me than the presence of Christmas? And if it does, and I know, I, I believe everybody would say, yes, absolutely. How is that displayed? How is that displayed? And there are, there are things we're going to talk about today that can help shift our focus into making that more of a reality. Now, I'm not telling you to go off the deep end and just be like, nobody's getting anything. Nobody. Suck it up, kids. Here's some tissues. Okay, that's your Christmas gift. Okay. But what is your expectation at Christmas? Is it on material things? How many of you have ever said to somebody, oh, you don't have to get me anything? But then there's still that part of you that's like, I think they're going to get me something. And then if they don't get you something, you're like, oh, now my heart hurts. Okay? I've been there where it's like, no, you don't have to get me anything. But in reality, you're, you're still like, it's Christmas. I, I deserve it. Okay? So how are your expectations... How are your expectations leading you to disappointment, frustration, or Christmas being about you rather than what it needs to truly be about? So when we talk about spending less, what does that exactly mean? Spend less than last year. Spend less than the national average. Spend less than the Joneses next door. There is no magic number, but the reality is Scripture points to tithing and giving with a, a grateful heart. But the reality is I would encourage you, get down on your knees and just talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. Make a list about what is needed versus what is wanted and how your life displays kingdom spending versus your kingdom spending. God has a desire for how we spend these holidays. It needs to be focused on him and not us. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10 today. If you want to open your Bibles, um, your phones, or it's going to be up on the screen. Okay, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, who's like a spiritual son to him, and I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back through it. It says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food, we have clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall a temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and perceived themselves with many pangs. Okay? So, a little context, but not a ton. In First Timothy chapter 6, um, Paul's writing to Timothy that... In, the situation is there's people that are taking advantage of God's word for their own earthly gain, for their monetary gain. So if people, um, at this point, if some people decide to follow Jesus, they kind of have this mindset of, what do I get out of it? If I, if I do this, what, what's in it for me? Okay, so Paul is encouraging Timothy, and he says, with godliness. Now, what's that word mean? Godliness is living life with the character and attitude of God. Godliness is living life with the character and attitude of God. So that right there, think about your spending. Does your spending line up with the character and attitude of God? That godliness is of great gain when it is tied with contentment. I struggle with contentment, and it shows up in my impulsivity. I used to be one of those, uh, I still kind of am, but me and Disney are just kind of fighting right now, but I used to be one of those weird Disney adults. And um, at one point, I, uh, I, 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 like, I used to like those just classic Mickey t-shirts, and one time I took them all out and counted them, and I had over 40. Okay, oh, judge me, come on. <laughs> Gasp! Okay, in my defense... I used to wear a medium all the way up to an extra large. Brent just had weight fluctuation, so that was three different sizes, so j judge less, okay? But the reality is, is like, if, if we spend, there, there's an issue in us that we need to figure out is why am I looking for these things to fulfill me? And even at Christmas time, you think about relationally, okay? What's the why behind why we spend? Is it so people love us more? Is it so we don't disappoint people? These are all issues that we need to take to the feet of Jesus because we are finding um, our, our identity in those things rather than just being a child of God and living in godliness, the character and the attitude of God, okay? The Greek word for contentment is the word autarkia, okay? If we were to define contentment based on our definition, we would just, we're happy and satisfied with what we have, okay? But that's kind of relative because we just got done with Thanksgiving. How many of you actually ate till you were content? And then you went back and got more, right? So once again, it's, it's this idea of excess, okay? So the Greek word, autarkia, it means to have a complete self-sufficiency, which is a mindset or mentality where you are 100% independent of all outward things. That the things out here, okay, that's not what you're chasing or striving for that's going to fill you. You're, you're free from the pressures of chasing the material. We can't even fathom that, okay? If sufficiency of the necessity of life or being happy with it, it it's sufficiency of the necessities of life or being happy with what you have based on your needs, not your wants. And we know scripture says that God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. But why is contentment so hard? I think it's just the simple answer of our focus is here rather than on eternity. We have such an 
earthly mindset rather than a kingdom mindset. We focus on the temporary rather than the eternal. We focus on the material rather than the spiritual. And it's easy to get caught up in the things of this life. And especially with the way the world is with um, uh, comparing ourselves to people, scrolling so much, seeing what others have that we don't. And I love that Paul writes on contentment because if anybody can speak on it, it's him. He was so wealthy at one point as a Pharisee. He gave it all up for the sake of the gospel. He says to live as Christ, to die as gain. And he was as poor as a prisoner. So he fully understood what it was like to have a ton and have absolutely nothing. In Philippians 4, he writes that he's learned that whatever state he finds himself in, he can be content. He knew how to have very little and trust God and not be stressed. He knew how to have a lot and keep the right perspective of godliness, keeping that character of God. Okay? A good kind of gut check for us is to think of when we spend, how we spend, and why we spend. If we're content, like I said, we really have to ask ourselves, how is that displayed in our life? Because we can lie to ourselves so much. Okay? If you're in a uh, mindset where you say, I just need a little retail therapy, okay? that's not going to fill you. That's not going to bring contentment. You're searching for outside things that this world offers that only Jesus can fill. Okay? What we're really saying is, okay, if I had these things, then I'd be content or happy. It's never enough. They asked somebody who made $500,000 a year how much it would take for him to be good. He said a million. They asked a millionaire. He said five million. They asked a five million, five, a guy that made $5 million, he said 10. It's never enough. It's never enough enough. It's a dog chasing its tail. Verses 7 and 8. Paul addresses what a heart of contentment looks like in the reality of life. He says, we brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, the necessities, with these we'll be content. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about anxiousness and worry. Because uh, people, he's like, hey, why do you worry so much about what you're going to wear? what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where you're going to go. God knows what you need. So if we live with what we need, rather than chasing what we want, Jesus goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's kingdom. Be focused on heavenly things. God's going to take care of what you need. So I want everybody to put your hands out. Yep, it's awkward, I know. It's all right. This is how you came into the world. Empty-handed with absolutely nothing. Okay, put your hands back out. This is how you're going to go out of the world, with absolutely nothing. God is the giver of all good things, and everything that comes into our hands is a result of him. His goodness, his glory, his favor, his love. But Brent, I have a job, I work. God is still giving you life into your lungs. God is the provider. God can give, God takes away. We need to remember that God is the giver of all good things. Okay, so if God is the giver, with what we have, do we see ourselves as owners with what God gives us? Because we can't. Because it belongs to God. We're stewards. We're stewards of what God gives us. And he trusts us with what he gives us. So when you think about not being an owner, if you come to Christmas time, Christmas time, whatever, whatever holiday, what day, okay, we steward God's money. We're either building our kingdom or seeking God's kingdom, okay? I think it's interesting why food and clothing, okay? We're looking at necessities. 
God knows the big game that we can get trapped in, that we can get stuck in, seeking things of this world. Simplicity. Simplicity is key. Okay? The things that used to satisfy us, they no longer satisfy us. There's always something new coming out. There's always something bigger. There's always something better, and it's not going to change. It's never going to change. That's where we're at as a culture, and it's going to keep going that way. So what are you chasing, and why are you chasing it? I want you to really struggle with that. What are you chasing, and why are you chasing? This is what God has been convicting me of so much as I was writing this. I'm just like, why do I spend money the way I do? Why do I feel I need specific things? Why do I feel like when I have a closet full of clothes and more shoes than I know what to do with, why do I feel the need to have more? What is it? And I'm like, a lot of it is, is like it's the pressure that I, I allow into my life from culture or wanting to portray myself a certain way. These are all the things that we really need to wrestle with. What's keeping me from being um, an image bearer of Christ, living in godliness, having the same heart, having the same attitude of God. Our focus is on earthly things, and those earthly things become our desires. In verses 9 and 10, Paul addresses the result of a discontent heart. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That is an ugly sentence. That is an ugly sentence. So chasing these things, spending money the way we do, desiring to have more and more and more, it's a snare. It's a trap that you can't get out of. Senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Destruction. It goes on to say the love of money. It's not money is the root of all evil. That's often misquoted. It's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Rich is subjective. If you were to ask a poor person who's rich, they might point somebody out. And if you ask that rich person who's rich, they might not even look at themselves. It's all, it's all subjective based on our reality of how we see the world and, and how we get caught up in um, how we want to see the world, okay? But when our hearts become anchored to the things of this world, heavenly riches do not become uh, something that's on our radar. We don't seek to glorify the kingdom of God with our finances. We don't seek to be a blessing with our finances, we find ourselves in this vicious cycle of constantly just wanting um, for ourselves and even for our immediate families or whatever that looks like. And maybe here or there we'll throw out an opportunity to bless somebody. But the reality is as long as our focus is here, we're going to stay caught in that snare. Loving money is the root of all evil. Why? Well, it's the love of money that can lead a person to do unspeakable evil acts. Jesus, or Judas gave up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, before you kind of look down on Judas, I've given up Jesus for way less than 30 pieces of silver. I've sinned for way less than 30 pieces of silver. I've traded Christ for much less. And what's the result of all of this? The reality is, for some, it's literally wandering away from faith. Wandering away from faith because they're so caught up in the things of this world, looking for earthly materials to be to satisfy them. Okay, for others, it's a life of destruction leading to never being satisfied, never being satisfied or content. The stress and worry that that leads a person to. You're always chasing something else to fulfill you, 
but you'll never catch it. We can look throughout history and see the result of all of that. Our desires that we seek here can truly only be satisfied in Jesus Christ, the giver of all good things, the supplier of all of our needs. And for Christmas, seeing that, seeing that reality, living in that reality, and pulling back to say, I'm going to spend less to invest in the kingdom of God. The reality is those that when we talk about our needs and wants, the things that we want or desire aren't usually the things that we need. And the one thing that we need, Jesus, isn't always the thing that we want or desire. And I think we need, once again, we need a gut check with this. We need a gut check with this. I think we say, yes, Jesus is my number one desire. Okay? How do you prioritize your time to show that? How do you prioritize your relationships to show that? How do you prioritize your wallet or your billfold to show that? Billfold is a, a wallet from old-timey words, younger people, okay? So how do we get contentment? Jesus says, don't lay up your, for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't try to build a kingdom here. Moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The world and its desires are fading away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Treasures aren't necessarily bad. They're not. It's, uh, I like having nicer things, but they don't really hold value. The things that we think are so valuable, they hold value because we place it on them based on if like your best or most meaningful gift okay it might be absolutely worth nothing to somebody else but for you it's priceless so we place the value on it or we allow culture to place the value on it and then we fall into that lie so we think that we need to have those things because they are valuable okay anybody that's a sneakerhead that loves air jordans or anything like that that are going for an astronomical um, price no judgment or anything but i'm just saying they have value because somebody says hey those are valuable okay and we're like oh okay i always think that's just the craziest thing like I, it's totally side note but like even words that are spoken now like i work with students and the things they say i'm like how is the, who came up with that it just doesn't make sense to me but it's because somebody said that has value and we're like okay Okay? God needs to be our barometer of what has value, what has worth. Okay? The secret to happiness, scripture standards, isn't more stuff. It's contentment. It's contentment. Living with what we need more than what we want. It's when our heart and our treasure are aligned. Okay? Our heart, a heart of contentment will help lead us in our spending, and we, we will not invest just here, but we will invest in heavenly things. And after, this, uh, after the sermon, Pastor Chad's going to come up, and what does that look like? We have missions in our church um, that we partner with that you can invest in. You can give financially, but you can also give your time, um, your, your prayers, all of those things. But start there. Pull back from spending here and spend eternity, or spend eternally, okay? But what does this look like practically, all right? It's going to take a lot more than scrolling on your phone, clicking add to cart, or buy now, all right? This is an investment, okay? But really what it comes down to, you have to balance your, your, between your wants and your needs, your desires and your needs, okay? But not just the needs around you, but needs around your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and the ends of the earth, how can you 
Spend less to bless more. And that's where Chad's going to share some things that you can give to. Okay? Also, ask yourself, am I willing to sacrifice gifts that are wanted so I can bless others that have things that are needed? Also, these are great teachable moments for kids because they're growing up in a generation of excess. All right? That's why I'm so glad my students are in here because you can be a difference maker. You can be a catalyst for change. Okay? So here's questions to think about. All right, so when you spend, are you supporting businesses that completely go against your convictions? Okay, and you need to wrestle with that. Are you spending supporting businesses that go against your convictions? And you can justify it all you want. It's Christmas, okay? Not good enough. And that's going to take research, all right? Um, where are products made? Who makes them? Is it children in a foreign country that aren't being paid a fair wage? Are employees being underpaid? Do I agree with how a product is being advertised? I know this takes time, but the reality is we're talking about being aware of how people are treated. There's two things that last forever, God's word and people, so we need to care about that stuff. And a lot of the people that are behind closed doors of consumer culture is what we would consider the least of these. So are you willing to put in that extra time and effort to help the least of these? Or do you really have to have that shirt or those shoes or that electronic? Don't compromise. Don't compromise for the sake of tradition or unhealthy expectation. So here's tips. You can, you can um, take a picture of it. But uh, don't just spend willy-nilly. Yes, I said willy-nilly. Ask more questions before you spend. Don't be flippant with your spending. Be humble. Resist the temptation to spend based on your traditions or outside pressure. Set a budget. Start saving throughout the year so you don't go into debt. Have a Christmas uh, account separate. Talk to your kids, and this might be tough, but this is a whole philosophy paradigm shift, but talk to your kids about giving up a certain amount of presence of gifts next year and what you can do with those finances. How you can bless, who you can bless, and let your kids be a part of that to serve God's kingdom. Change Christmas altogether. Change Christmas altogether. I have a friend that I talked to recently, and they give their kids a gift they want, a gift they need, a gift they can wear, and a gift they can give away. And I thought that was so cool. Talk about the why. Let it all come back to Jesus, his example, his heart, and his kingdom work. So godliness, having the same heart and character. So when I ask the question, does the presence of Jesus mean more to me than the presence of Christmas? If my answer is yes, what is displayed in your life about that? It's so awesome to say, to sing the songs, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But the reality is behind closed doors, we're crazy stressed about finances about the debt that we're in, about the gifts that we get, just hoping people aren't mad that it's the wrong gift. we got to stop playing this game and get back to what, what is most important. Put Jesus back on the throne of Christmas. Let it be all about him. Advent conspiracy, the word conspiracy, conspire means to agree or to act together for a common goal. And our goal is to lift high the name of Jesus at Christmas time. Remember the humble birth, but bigger picture, remember the perfection, leaving the comfort of heaven to walk among us, to live a perfect life, to die so we can have life. Not just eternally, but I fully believe God wants us to flourish here on this side of heaven. But part of that is 
is we have to walk in godliness, have the same heart, have the same mind, have the same character as the Father. So are you willing to rethink how you spend so you can purposely engage Christmas in a way that is meaningful and truly celebrates and demonstrates the incarnation or the made flesh of Jesus Christ? And I would encourage you, talk to God about it. Humbly go to him. Ask for forgiveness for making it the thing that it doesn't, that, that it's not about, because I, we're all guilty of it. But let's, let's lift high the name of Jesus this year, and let's spend less, and next week Chad's going to jump on, why do we spend less so we can give more, making an eternity impact for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we need uh, a heart change. We need a heart adjustment. And God, I, I, I know that sometimes that, uh, God, we, we build walls up. We, we justify. We don't want to change. Um, and Lord, just because Christmas comes with so many traditions, Father, help us to break those if they are not glorifying to you. Lord, I, I thank you that you are the giver of all good things, that you, you supply and provide all of our needs through your riches and glory. And God, I pray that we would see ourselves as stewards, stewards, not owners of what you've given us, Lord, that we would respond accordingly with a heart of godliness, a, a heart of gratitude, knowing, God, that all of these things that we chase and, God, that we even teach other people to chase based on a holiday, God, none of those can be met None of our desires can be filled in anything other than you. So, Lord, change us. God, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to the mission of Jesus. God, that we would uh, spend less to reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. God, that you would get glory and that Christmas would be about you. We love you, God. Thank you for this time of worship. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.